So the last two weeks, as we've been going through the Upper Room Discourse, it's been quite depressing. Uh, we've been talking about all this stuff, about the world's going to hate us and, uh, and all of that. So I thought we would pause that for just a week, and I brought a few Christmas presents uh, for us to talk about this morning. And uh, as I think about the, uh, the, the toys down here on this table, each one of these represents a story, and it tells a story. But before I get to the items on the table, I want to ask you a question, and that is, who were your heroes as a kid? Who were your heroes as a kid? Uh, Many people, when you're a kid, you have different sports figures who might be heroes to you, like Mickey Mantle or Jackie Robinson or maybe Michael Jordan. Uh, Maybe you had other heroes like Walt Disney or Neil Armstrong. Still others, maybe you had religious heroes in your life, like a Billy Graham or an Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, but I want to tell you of a couple of heroes that I had when I was growing up. And uh, the first hero that I had growing up is represented by the ring that I had down here on this table. This ring is really about my dad. Uh, see, my dad, when I was growing up, when I was a little boy, he was a math teacher at uh, the local high school in Lawton, Oklahoma, but he was also a wrestling coach. And my dad successfully coached his wrestling team to two or to a back-to-back state championships and one national championship. And so when I was a little boy growing up, you know, under my dad, and, and I would go to the wrestling practices and I would travel sometimes with the team, I looked up to my dad. He was a hero of mine as a state to st- back-to-back state championship coach and a national championship coach. And so uh, this is something that, that is uh, quite the treasure to me. In fact, uh, on it, he put Coach Jace. He didn't put his own name. He put Coach Jace on it and uh, gave this to me a few years ago. But he, my dad is one of my heroes growing up. Another one of my heroes growing up uh, is represented by this baseball bat. Um, I really looked up to Cal Ripken Jr. Now, Cal Ripken Jr. didn't touch this bat. He didn't autograph it or anything. It's just a baseball bat. But um, Cal Ripken Jr. was the Iron Man of baseball. If you don't know Cal Ripken Jr., he set the record for the most consecutive games played. The most consecutive games played, he broke a 56-year-long record set by Lou Gehrig, and I remember watching the game on TV when Cal Ripken Jr. set the record for the most consecutive games played. It was just an incredible accomplishment, a, a, a record that many people think will never be broken. But if you were to travel back in time, let's say 2,000 years, if you were to travel back in time and if you were to find yourself in the nation of Israel about 2,000 years ago, if you were to ask little Jewish boys and little Jewish girls who their hero was, I almost guarantee you that the name you would hear more often than not was the name Judah the Hammer Maccabees. Judah, this is not Thor's hammer, by the way, this is Uh, the hammer of Judah Maccabee. Maccabee is the hammer. And this morning, as we open our Bibles up to John chapter 10, I want us to take a look at a story in the Gospel of John. But in order to understand what's going on in the Gospel of John chapter 10, we also need to understand the story of Judah the hammer Maccabee. So open your Bible up to John chapter 10. And before we get into the text, we're going to do a little bit of a history lesson. In fact, there 
on your outline, you can see we're going to look at four things this morning. First, we're going to look at the history lesson about Judah Maccabee. Number two, we're going to take a look at John chapter 10 and use the history lesson to unpack a little bit of the details in John chapter 10. Then we're going to talk about some of the traditions around this celebration of Hanukkah or the Feast of Dedication that we're going to read about in John chapter 10. And then we'll talk about Hanukkah today, which actually begins at sundown tonight. And so go ahead and turn over to John chapter 10. But as you're turning to John chapter 10, I want to first tell you a little bit of a history lesson, a story from history. And let me preface this story by saying the information I'm about to tell you isn't in the Bible. It is, however, found in the book of 1 Maccabees, and it's supported in the writings of a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus. Now, these writings are not inspired, but they are informative, and from them we can learn a great deal about Hanukkah or the Feast of Dedication, the Festival of Lights, which is what we're going to talk about this morning. So here's the history lesson. As you know, the Jewish people throughout their entire history have been persecuted. Really, the story of the Jewish people over and over again is a story of how they've been persecuted and how different leaders, different kingdoms have threatened to annihilate them and wipe them off the map. And there's a particular story that took place around the 3rd and 2nd century BC. This was during the Hellenistic period right after Alexander the Great. So you've probably heard of Alexander the Great. Well, after Alexander the Great, here's what happened. Uh, The rule of Alexander the Great was essentially split up. And you had two major empires in this time, in the second century. You had the Seleucids, or Syria, and then you had the Ptolemies, or the Egyptians. And there in the second century BC, you basically had the Ptolemies or the Egyptians and the Syrians or the Seleucids battling out back and forth against one another over and over again. And in the second century BC, unfortunately for the nation of Israel, who's literally caught in the middle of these two warring kingdoms, a man by the name of Antiochus IV rose to power. Antiochus IV was the leader of the Syrians, of the Seleucid Empire. Now, we know him as Antiochus IV, but we also know him by a nickname he gave to himself, Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, there's actually coins that Antiochus IV had minted, and on the back of the coin, it actually says, Theus Epiphanies, or literally God appearing, God manifest. So Antiochus IV nicknamed himself God appearing, God epiphanies, God manifested. I mean, so this guy, I mean, think about it. I mean, he's a bit of a megalomaniac, right? Like he thought that he literally was God in the flesh. And it's this guy, Antiochus IV or Antiochus Epiphanes, who led one of the worst threats to the Jewish people. Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes, God manifest. 
By the way, to put that phrase, God manifest, in a little bit of context for you, when you flip forward to the book of Titus chapter 2, in Titus chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, in talking about Jesus, in talking to believers, he encourages us to look forward to the blessed hope and appearing, same Greek word, of our great God, same Greek word, and Savior Jesus Christ, appearing of God. And that's what Antiochus IV called himself, God appearing. But in the year 168 BC, Antiochus IV Epiphanes, the king of the Seleucids, he invaded Judea, he outlawed the Jewish religion, and he ordered all Jewish people to worship the Greek gods. So he marches into Judea, he takes over the region, he outlaws the Jewish faith and orders that all Jewish people must worship Greek gods. He decreed that the study of the Torah, the law, is forbidden. He forbid the practice of the Sabbath. And if that weren't bad enough, a year later, in 167 BC, he personally entered into the Jewish temple there in Jerusalem. He built an altar to Zeus, and he sacrificed a pig on the altar. Now, keep in mind, pigs are unclean animals in the Jewish faith, and so this was an unimaginable act of treachery and of abomination. And this was an act that simply could not be tolerated. And so as a result of Antiochus Epiphanes' desecration of the temple, there was a Jewish revolt led by uh, one man and his five sons, one of whom was Judas Maccabees, or Judas, nicknamed Maccabees the Hammer. And this particular revolt, led by Judah the Hammer, resulted in that in two years, the, all of the Seleucids were driven out of Israel. And this great leader, who many then viewed as a Messiah-like figure, he cleansed the temple, he regained Jerusalem, and restored the practice of Judaism once again. And the story of Hanukkah is really about what happened next. After Judah the hammer regained Jerusalem and cleansed the temple, they found the golden menorah that belonged in the temple. They brought it back into the temple. But when they went to light that golden menorah, they found that there was only enough oil for one day. Only enough oil for one day. And in those days, it took a week to properly make the oil that would be used to light the menorah in the temple but they only had enough oil for one day. But what they decided to do is to go ahead and use that one day supply of oil anyway as they were making the oil that, again, would take a week to keep it burning. But the story of Hanukkah, the miracle of Hanukkah, is that God used that one day supply of oil, but he extended it throughout the entire week until the fresh supply of menorah oil was made. And so for 2,000 years now, year after year, the Jewish people have been celebrating both the defeat of Antiochus Epiphanes and the revolt led by Judah 
the Hammer Maccabees, as they remember as well the multiplication, miraculous multiplication of the menorah oil. In fact, in the book of 1 Maccabees chapter 4, it says that Judah and his brothers and all the assembly of Israel determined that every year at that season, the days of dedication of the altar should be observed with joy and gladness for eight days. And so when we fast forward to the time of Jesus, the Feast of Dedication, the Festival of Lights, or what we call Hanukkah, in some form or fashion was observed and celebrated even in the time of Jesus. Remember that this was all about the defeat of Antiochus Epiphanes, the man who claimed to be God in the flesh, God manifest. And it's with all of that history in mind that I want you to look now at John chapter 10 as we take a look at verses 22 through 33. John chapter 10, let me read for you first verses 22 and 23, John tells us this. He says, at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So let's pause right here. John here tells us the context, the history of when and where Jesus is at this particular moment. Notice, when is it? It's the feast of dedication the festival of lights, it's Hanukkah. And where is Jesus? He's there in Jerusalem, in the temple, in the portico of Solomon. So Jesus is now in Jerusalem. He's there for the celebration. He's there to remember and celebrate with his Jewish people the defeat of Antiochus Epiphanes and the the leader, Judah, the hammer Maccabees. So Jesus is there. And keep in mind that At this time, you can imagine probably little Jewish boys and little Jewish girls, they're probably running around Jerusalem and they're probably pretending to be Judah the Hammer Maccabees and driving out the Seleucids, right? And this is a very real thing for them because although the Seleucids are gone, there's another ruler in town. The Romans are there. The Romans are now the ones oppressing the Jewish people, and the Jewish people are looking for a Messiah-like figure, a Judah Maccabee-like figure who will deliver them from the oppression of Roman hands. And so notice what Jesus says in verse 24, what the Jews say in verse 24. John tells us, John chapter 10, verse 24, the Jews then gathered around him, Jesus, and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So there, the feast of dedication on Hanukkah, the festival of lights, they're in the temple. They're reminded of the story of Judah, and they are looking now at the Roman oppression that is ruling over them. And the text says here that the Jews gathered around Jesus. Literally, they closed in around him. They surround him. And they asked Jesus a very simple question. How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you really are the Christ, if you really are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Again, remember, they're thinking that the Messiah is going to physically deliver them from Rome, just like Judah Maccabee delivered them from the Seleucids. They're looking for a super Maccabee, a warrior who will defeat their enemies. 
So if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Well, notice Jesus' reply starting in verse 25. Jesus answered them. He said, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me, but you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So notice, as the Jewish people are looking for this Maccabee-like Messiah figure who will deliver them from Roman oppression. They asked Jesus, are you really the Christ? If so, tell us plainly. But notice Jesus' reply. It's not exactly what they were looking for. Because the deliverance Jesus speaks of here is not a physical deliverance, it's an eternal deliverance. I want you to know the power. I want you to see the power of Jesus' words here. Look again at verses 27 and 28. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. By the way, these words of Jesus here are some of the strongest words in the New Testament to describe the security of our salvation. The security of our salvation. Notice Jesus says, my father is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand, his sheep, his sheep who hear his voice. And so let me pause for just a second and, and ask you a question. Have you put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, for the security, the eternal security that he offers to you? Those of you in this room and those of you watching online, if you've never really considered the, the claims of Jesus, that he is indeed the Son of God, the Bible says he laid down his life on the cross in your place and in my place, that he offers to you the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. If you've never trusted in him, I'd encourage you to put your faith in him right here, right now. And to see here in these very words of Jesus that if you've trusted in him, if you are a Christian, then nothing can take that away from you. That you are safe and secure in the mighty hand of God, not just in the mighty hand of a man like Judah Maccabees, but you're safe and secure in the mighty hand of God. So Jesus here is describing eternal salvation, not just physical deliverance. But then I want you to notice what he says in verse 30. There in verse 30, Jesus speaking to these Jewish leaders, he says, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Now, for you and I, when we read this, it may not mean a ton to us, but in the first century, when a person, if a person had the audacity to claim, I and the Father are one, this was a claim of deity. This was a claim that you were of the same essence as the Father. 
And so this was no insignificant claim here by Jesus in speaking to the Jewish authorities. When he says, I and the Father are one, he is actually claiming to be very God. Now keep in mind again the contrast being made between Antiochus Epiphanes and Jesus Christ. Antiochus IV Epiphanes was a man, a man who claimed falsely to be God in the flesh. Where in contrast, Jesus is true God, whom the Father sent to take on flesh, to be the God-man, to truly be God epiphanies, God manifested, God in humanity. So again, this is a bold claim here by Jesus in verse 30, and the boldness of this claim is definitely heard by the Jewish leadership, because notice how they respond in verses 31 through 33. The Jews, verse 31, picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them saying, I showed you many good works from the Father. Of which of them are you stoning me? And the Jews answered him, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. Notice this, because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. What I want you to see here is that Jesus' claim, I and the Father are one, the Jewish leaders of that day knew exactly what Jesus was claiming. They're not upset here about the works Jesus was doing. They're upset about what they call blasphemy. And truly, if Jesus was not who he is, then what he said was blasphemous. To claim equality with God, to be of the same essence as the Father, this was indeed blasphemy unless you truly are the Son of God. Because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God just like Antiochus Epiphanes. So I hope that history lesson on the Maccabee brothers helps shed a little bit of light here into John chapter 10. And like I said, uh, John chapter 10 is taking place on the occasion of the Feast of Dedication or the celebration of Hanukkah, which just so happens begins tonight at sundown. So as we look at number three on your outline, I want to talk for just a few minutes about some of the traditions that exist today anyway about Hanukkah. Now, over the years, some of the traditions of Hanukkah have begun to look a lot like some of our Christmas traditions. So with Hanukkah, there are gifts being exchanged, there are meals being prepared, there's a lot of singing, and it's a time of family and joyous celebration. And you can Google all kinds of the foods that are made during Hanukkah, uh, but most of them are cooked in oil, obviously, remembering the menorah oil that was multiplied on the original Hanukkah. And so the menorah, and I have one down here on the table, is one of the major focal points of Hanukkah today. Now a typical menorah is a seven-candled lampstand, but a, menorah, a Hanukkah menorah is a nine-branched menorah. Eight of those candles represent the eight days that the candle burned and continued to burn from that one source of oil. But there's a ninth candle. And on most menorahs, Hanukkah menorahs, 
one of those candles is elevated just a little bit. It's situated just a little bit higher than the other candles. And it's called the servant candle. The servant candle is really important. The servant candle is the only candle that you actually light with the match. And you use the servant candle then to light the other eight Hanukkah candles. And so that's one of the traditions. And by the way, when it comes to lighting the Hanukkah candles in the evenings, you ladies especially will appreciate this. One of the traditions that's passed down over the years is once the Hanukkah candle is lit, no more housework is to be done. Um, housework is over for the day uh, once you light the Hanukkah candles. But there's another thing down here on the table about a Hanukkah tradition that I want to introduce you to, and that is the dreidel. And hopefully you grabbed a dreidel when you came in this morning. You can either grab them in one of the tables out in the commons or come down and gra- uh, grab one here, but uh, it's a gift for you. But um, every year throughout Hanukkah, throughout the eight days of Hanukkah, um, it's tradition for kids especially to play a game with the dreidel. Now, I say kids especially, but this morning when I put them out on the tables, there was a group of deacons there playing with the dreidels. And uh, they taught, we're talking about maybe we can use this as a way to raise money here towards the end of the year. Uh, but um, anyway, the, the, tr- the dreidel game, let me explain the dreidel game to you. It really is a game. And uh, children or deacons at Grace Bible Church begin by each being given different pieces of chocolate, the same number of chocolate usually or marbles you can use. Uh, but each kid takes a turn spinning the dreidel And depending upon which letter on this four-sided dreidel it lands on, you do something. And so, again, you can Google this, but on one of the letters, the noon, you get nothing. On the gimel, so if you flip it over to the gimel, it's written there in English to help you, that means you get all of the candy in the pot. If it lands on the hay, you get half of the candy in the pot. And if it lands on the sheen, you have to put another piece of candy in the pot. So you go past the dreidel around, everybody spins, and depending on which Hebrew letter it lands on, you either get nothing, you get all, you lose, or you get half the pot, or you put another piece back in the pot. Now, another cool thing about the dreidel is over time, the four Hebrew letters began to stand for a phrase. And the phrase translated into English means a great miracle happened there. A great miracle happened there, referring to Jerusalem, there, Jerusalem, and again, the Hanukkah story, the miracle of the oil. And so throughout the week of Hanukkah, um, little Jewish boys and Jewish girls will spin the dreidel, play the game, remembering a great miracle happened there. So those are some of the traditions about Hanukkah. Now I want us to look briefly at number four on your outline and talk about how we as Christians can celebrate Hanukkah as it begins at sundown tonight. So let's think about a couple of the traditions and images about Hanukkah. First, the menorah. Can think about this menorah that's lit every single night during the week of Hanukkah. And you light the servant candle. 
The servant candle is the one that begins the light, and then the light from the servant candle spreads to the other candles as you light each one night after night. And in a similar way, Jesus is the servant candle. He's the light of the world who has caused us to be children of light as his light spreads to each and every one of us. Second, think about how the celebration of Hanukkah is really about the rededication of the temple. After it was desecrated by Antiochus IV, Judah Maccabee, the hammer, rededicated the temple there in Jerusalem. And in the New Testament, we read how God has made us to be the temple of God, that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The third thing I want you to think about, the third reason why I think we as Christians can celebrate Hanukkah today is because on a very human level, on a very human level, if there wasn't Hanukkah, there wouldn't be Christmas. Because God used the miracle of Hanukkah. He used the strong arm of Judah the hammer Maccabees to preserve the Jewish people once again from being annihilated. And it was about 150 years later when the ultimate deliverer was born. When our Savior, our eternal deliverer was born. And so Hanukkah is a demonstration of God's faithfulness to his Jewish people, most importantly, in preserving them until we come to the Messiah. But finally, I think the most important reason why I think we as Christians can celebrate Hanukkah is when we put in our minds the contrast between Antiochus IV Epiphanes, the man who claimed to be God in the flesh, And we set him in contrast to Jesus, who truly is God in the flesh. And when we celebrate this Christmas, the birth of Jesus, that God sent his very son, that Jesus, who is fully God, took on full human flesh and truly became God manifest, Emmanuel, God with us, I think we can be reminded that a great miracle happened there when Jesus was born. So there on the backside of your outline, one thing I'd invite you to do this week, maybe in the chaos of your preparations for Christmas, I'd invite you to have a little bit of fun. Take a dreidel before you leave. Make sure you grab one and to play a game remembering a great miracle happened there when Jesus, our Savior, Emmanuel, was born. You know, as I think about some of my heroes growing up, again, one of them was Cal Ripken. But to tell you the truth, the reason Cal Ripken was a hero of mine, he was a hero of mine before he set the record. But Cal Ripken became a hero of mine because as a little boy, I remember sitting down and writing a letter to Cal Ripken Jr. And lo and behold, he wrote one back to me. And so more than Cal Ripken's ability to play a whole bunch of games in a row, what really made Cal Ripken Jr. a hero to me was the personal interaction that I had with him, his appearing, his personal manifestation with me. And with my dad, far more important to me than his ability to coach a few wrestling teams 
what really made and still makes my dad a hero to me is that shortly after he and his team won those state championships and national championship, I remember as a little boy seeing my dad get pressured to pass, give a passing grades to students in his class who were failing simply because they were good athletes. And my dad refused. And he suffered the consequences for choosing to do the right thing, for being a man of integrity. More than his ability as a wrestling coach, that's what made him a hero to me as a little boy. And here's my point. Some heroes get a lot of publicity, like Judah, the Hammer, Maccabees. Some heroes are celebrated, others are rejected. And here in John chapter 10, we see this incredible account of the nation of Israel in celebrating Judah, the Hammer, Maccabees, but sadly they missed out on the true hero they're walking in the temple in their midst. Unbeknownst to them, the greatest hero who ever lived was there at the festival in the temple celebrating with his people. And so I want to invite you this week to celebrate the great miracle that happened there, our Emmanuel, God with us, God manifest, as we remember him this week. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you uh, for the gift of Jesus, uh, fully God, who became also fully man. And Father, we're grateful that as we think about the gift of Jesus this week, uh, we're grateful that you have provided for us our eternal redemption, our eternal deliverance. And God, I pray for myself, I pray for all of us here at Grace, that as we enter into the midst of a busy week, that we would keep our hearts, keep our affections, keep our love focused on the one you sent to die in our place, our true deliverer, the greatest hero. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.